You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Welcome into another edition of A's Cast Live. We are live from downtown Oakland. Taking you up until the A's and the Astros. Critical road trip for the Green and Gold starts tonight with Mike Fires going to the mound for the A's against Zach Greinke going for the Houston Astros to open a four-game series to get that series underway. The seven-game road trip through the state of Texas, so four against the Astros, and then three. And the final trip to what was the ballpark in Arlington it is now a Globe Life Park. So it is the final trip to Globe Life Park. I'm sure a lot of people won't be shedding a tear that it is the final trip to Globe Life Park. But I will. I had a historic moment at Globe Life Park last year. I saved Vince Catronio's life. Well, maybe not. Foul ball headed to the booth, right? And I caught it. Roxy Bernstein with you in for Chris Townsend today on A's Cast Live as Uncle Townie is at the Coliseum tonight. But for some football action, as with his Raider duties, so he'll be on the sidelines. He'll he'll be there. Antonio Brown will not. But Chris Townsend will. And Chris Townsend, last check, was still employed by the Raiders, right? Cody, can you confirm that for me? I can confirm that. Also confirm that uh, Tony is on assignment, as we like to as no. I, as I like no. to hear from other people around the the industry. Tony's on assignment. I, I, I don't I don't dig that on assignment. That belongs to the GDFGs. True, but yeah. Tony technically is on assignment. He has another. Assignment. He has another. He has another paying gig tonight. True. Right. True, and no, you're right. No Antonio Brown, so he gets to hang with Brent Musburger. Yeah, and Lincoln, the great Lincoln Kennedy, and everyone else, and the Monday Night Crew. I don't know who's calling the game. The who's the B team for Monday Night Football? Um. So. T- Tess is doing the A game. So be oh, Saints, it's Be Texans. It's, no, I think it's Beth Mowens, right? So Beth Mowens and yeah. Was it last year or two years ago when it was uh, Beth Mowens, Rex Ryan, and the and the kid that uh, everyone made fun of, oh, Sergio, Sergio Dip for the uh, the Vance show stuff? Oh, he's having God, the time was, of his life or whatever. So, yeah, that was so funny. Whatever happened to him? It's a good question. I haven't seen him on any uh, Monday I Night haven't Football seen since him anywhere then, or anywhere. Yeah. So, but that's my other employer, and I will leave that to them. All right, coming up on Ace Cast Live, we're taking it till after four o'clock today. On this show, then, of course, I'll have A's total access beginning at 4.15, taking you up until first pitch. Fires against Greinke tonight. And then I'll have, as well, A's clubhouse show as well after the ball game. And I'll be doing it all from right here. Downtown Oakland, Jack London Square at the A's studios in Jingletown. So I'll be with you here all day. As uh, we'll get you set coming up at about 12 minutes from now. Former Red Sox manager, one-time Oakland A's draft pick, and you'll be shocked to learn what John Farrell is doing now. John Farrell will join us about 11 minutes from now. Uh, We'll dive into what's going on in Boston because there's a lot to dissect right now. There's a lot to digest with what's happening with the Boston Red Sox as that was the huge news over the weekend. Forget that Antonio Brown who never played a down for the Oakland Raiders, and that's all anybody could talk about. But the stunning news coming out last night that Dave Dombrowski, no longer the president of the Boston Red Sox, he was there when John Farrell was there. And John Farrell, who was let go a year after he won a World Series with the Boston Red Sox, or a few years after, I should say, 
he won a World Series with the Red Sox. But Dave Dabrowski, who oversaw the Red Sox in the World Series title last year, now less than a year later, he's gone. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next in Boston. We'll get, dive into that coming up in a bit. And also coming up on the show today, we have to, of course, when it's the A's against the Astros, who do we have to check in with? The pride of the University of California. It'll probably be a love fest today considering our football team and what they did Saturday night. But Jeff Blum will join us in the show, get caught up on what's going on with the Astros. In fact, I was with Blummer last Monday. I was in Milwaukee on Labor Day uh, working with Jim Bowden. I did the Astros and the Brewers in a game that Houston won in extra innings. Uh, had lunch in the wonderful press dining room there at Miller Park with Jeff Blum. And then he stiffed me for dinner. He big-leagued me. You know, we invited him, tried to be, you know, hey, let's. No, he didn't want anything to do with having dinner with me. Anyway, so, but he is kind enough to stop on by the show. And we'll preview the series coming up between the A's and the Houston Astros. And, again, Granke, the third ace going against Fires, who has been the A's best pitcher so far this season. But the huge news in baseball, clearly yesterday, it came out last night. And pretty stunning and carrying over into today, getting reaction from around Major League Baseball. As a Dave Dabrowski was fired as president of baseball operations. He was at the helm of the Red Sox for four years and let go last night. And in the interim, they're going to have a, I guess, a, a management team oversee the responsibilities that were handled by Dave Dabrowski. So he is out. And it's is it, I've seen two reports. I've seen three, and I've seen four people are going to handle the duties that Dabrowski did. Not exactly sure, um, but I've seen reports on both. But it certainly has to send shockwaves throughout New England. It has to send shockwaves throughout the Red Sox organization. And I, I'm sure it's troubling for Alex Cora because he was hired by Dave Dabrowski to be the GM or to be the manager of the team, without any managerial experience. And so it has to be an uneasy time for a lot of people in Boston. That's what they knew. And he did help them win a World Series. And unceremoniously, he's let go a year later. And here is Cora's reaction from earlier today. Unfair, fair. I don't know. The, team, the team already sent a statement. And uh, they actually they wanted to make sure you know, that we appreciate what they did as an organization. And um, I know for some people it's probably not enough, for others maybe it is. Uh, I'm just here like every day, you know, just uh, to talk to you people for whatever you guys want to talk about, you know. From my end, like I said yesterday, I was very surprised, but at the same time, we think about it today, and uh, this is the guy that gave me a shot to become a big manager. You know, for four or five years, you go through this process and, and nobody gave me a shot and all of a sudden, you know, Dave Ombrowski, 40 years in the buildings, you know, decides to give me a chance to run this organization as a manager. And we were successful last year. This year, not that much, you know, and um, there's a business that you know, sometimes you got to take uh, tough decisions and it was a tough decision. And, you know, our initiative decided that you know, they from now on, they're going to look forward for somebody else, you know, to run baseball operations. They explain it very simple, you know. The guy's amazing. He's, he's part of the Hall of Famer, what he did for the organization the last, what, four or five years. Uh, it was great. And I think everybody's appreciative of uh, what they've done. What happened last night before not playing well? Um, you know, they, they told me after the game, and you have to tell the players, you know, it's not easy. I always talk about it with you guys, you know, like there's, there's the game and then there's what happens with the field and then the field and all of that, you know, it was a tough night for everybody. And, uh, you know, we talk to the people that are close to you and listen to them and put your thoughts uh, in the right, you know, your mind in the right frame of mind and we move forward, you know. We got to show up today and we got to play. That audio courtesy of Marley Rivera from ESPN is, that was Alex Cora, the Red Sox manager talking about the emotions today. And it's got to be a tough day for him. Dave Nebraska is 63, who gave him an opportunity and now is out. 
as the president of baseball operations for the Boston Red Sox. And people are wondering why. Why now? Why this move, considering Dombrowski led the Red Sox to a World Series title last year? He also led the Marlins way back in 97 to a World Series crown. And he's a lifelong, he's a baseball lifer is what he is. Dombrowski began his career all the way back in 1978 with the White Sox. He was an administrative assistant in their minor league organization. He moved up the ladder to be assistant GM to Roland Heeman by his late 20s and then was let go during the Ken Harrelson one-year reign as the White Sox GM back in 1986. From the White Sox, he went to the Expos. He went there as their director of player development and under Bill Stoneman. And at 31, he became the youngest general manager in Major League Baseball of the Montreal Expos in July of 1988. He built up that farm system, drafted guys like Cliff Floyd, Rondell White, and the team enjoyed seasons that were 500 or better in three straight years there as the GM, then struggled on the field in 91. And then when the National League was expanded to 14 teams, the two new franchises came in in 93, the Rockies and the Marlins. And the Marlins recruited Dombrowski to become their GM, so he left the Expos to become the GM of the Marlins in September of 1991. And then Dabrowski spent over a decade in Miami under both Wayne Huizenga and John Henry. Of course, John Henry, who then sold as part of that whole moving parts and musical chairs and ownership. John Henry, who owned the Expos, then owned the Marlins, now, of course, owned the Red Sox. Anyways, Dombrowski hired Jim Leland to manage the team. They'd worked together in the White Sox organization. And then they went on to win the 2003 World Series. And then Mike Illich and the Tigers made a furious run at him and hired him after the 2001 season. So Dave Dombrowski took over as the Tigers' general manager, and he helped take Detroit to the World Series. Now, they didn't win a world title when he was there. But in 2003, shortly after he took over there, they lost an American League record 119 games. That was a, just an unbelievably horrific team. And now it's one more loss fewer than the MLB record set in 1962 by the Amazons, the New York Mets. The manager was Alan Trammell, who was the Tigers World Series MVP in 1984. Three years later, the Tigers, led by Jim Leland, won their first American League pennant under Dombrowski. And it was their first since their championship year of 1984. Along the way, they won the AL wild card, defeated the Yankees in four games, the 2006 ALDS. And then a moment we'd all like to forget, they swept the A's in the 2006 ALCS. And then they were defeated by the Cardinals in five games, the 2006 World Series. So he stayed with Detroit, also saw the Tigers get to the 2012 World Series before they lost to the GDFGs. Um, and also along the way, unfortunately, again, defeated the A's in that 2012 ALDS, beat the Yankees in the CS, and then lost the World Series to that team that will not be mentioned. Um, and then in 2015, uh, August of 2015, Dabrowski was released by the Tigers, and Al Avila, it's funny, because his son, Alex Avila, but Dave Avila was then became the GM of the Detroit Tigers, and in 14 years with that organization, Dabrowski led the Tigers to five playoff appearances, four consecutive Central Division crowns, four ALCS appearances, three consecutive ALCS appearances in 11 through 13, AL pennants in 2006-2012 before being hired away and going to the Boston Red Sox, where in August of 2015, Dabrowski was named president of baseball operations, and he was there through last night and led the Red Sox to the World Series title last year, but less than a year later. We'll dive into the reasons why, and there's a, there's a number of them. In fact, somebody who's going to have a lot of insight into what happened in Boston in the last 24 to 48 hours, even though he's kind of a little out of the business right now, as John Farrell, a former Red Sox manager, will join us. He was let go uh, a couple of years ago. And last year, spent the year working for ESPN as a baseball analyst. I had the pleasure of getting to call some games with John Farrell. 
as well as he was a special assistant for the Cincinnati Reds and scout. He is out of baseball, no analyst work, no front office work. You'll be shocked to hear what John Farrell is doing next. He'll fill us in on what he's doing. Also, a great story about a one-time Oakland A's draft pick and who his negotiations were with, and also get his thoughts on what's happening in Boston. This is A's Cast Live. Roxy Bernstein with you on your home for A's baseball, A's Cast. Broadcasting from the town, A's Cast Live continues. We're now in the push, heading down the stretch. Last homestand coming up of the 2019 regular season. A's are in the mix, of course, as you know, for a playoff spot. Experience the magic of a playoff push for free. That's right, free access for the remainder of the season when you purchase your 2020 A's Access membership plan. With A's Access, you get 50% off concessions, 25% off merchandise, $10 prepaid parking. Get started at athletics.com slash access. So we're getting ready for the A's and the Astros. A critical road trip starting tonight, the first of a four-game set in Houston for the A's. It'll be Mike Fires for the green and gold, and he'll take on Zach Greinke going for the Houston Astros tonight. A's Cast Live continues with you. Roxy Bernstein with you. And we're joined by a friend of mine who I've had the pleasure of working with, calling games for ESPN in the past. He is, of course, a World Series champion manager, a former major league pitcher, and a former front off executive. And before we, we dive into things, John Farrell joining us here on A's Cast Live, you have to fill us in on, on what you're doing right now. I was reading an article, John, about it earlier today. It's just fascinating. <laughs> well, I tell you, Roxy, it's great to catch up with you. You too. Uh, in addition to in addition to working with the Cincinnati Reds and their play development system, I've kind of gone back to my roots. Uh, I grew up on the beach in New Jersey. Uh, my dad was a commercial fisherman, and and I've gotten back into uh, the fishing world and and doing some lobster fishing uh, just north of Boston, up in Gloucester, Massachusetts. So, take us through your normal day. What is your routine right now, John? Doing this. Well, on days that we go out, I mean, it's it starts early. Uh, we'll leave the dock about 4.30 in the morning, and, uh, you know, you're hopeful to get to your first set of traps that you're going to haul for that given day right right at sunup. Uh, I got to tell you, it's uh, from managing in Boston to doing this, there couldn't be probably more separation <laughs> in terms of the stress level. Uh, and it, like I said, it's uh, I'm fortunate to be able to go back to what has been a uh, you know, a, a lifelong connection to the ocean uh, and to get back doing it uh, as I, like I said, as I did with my dad growing up as a kid. So, uh, you know, you're on the water by 4.30 in the morning and your day ends about 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the evening. So plenty of labor, plenty of hard work. I have no trouble sleeping at night. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a good uh, reconnecting to a childhood that, had so many fond memories. So when you're thinking of doing this and you're having conversations with your boys and talking to your sons about this, what were those conversations like? They were all for it. I mean, here's the thing. My three sons are all in professional baseball. My youngest is still, you know, he's in the big leagues with the Rangers, uh, pitching out of their bullpen. And my two other sons work for the Cubs. One is their field coordinator in charge of instruction. And my middle son, Shane, is their West Coast cross checker in their amateur scouting department. So, uh, they're still blazing their path. Uh, their their childhood is nothing more than baseball, and they're still involved in it. Mine was just very different in growing up on the beach, but they're like, listen, you're at the stage of your life. If you've got the ability to make a choice and do something you love, why would you not do it? And I think having gone through cancer uh, and, and dealing with all that, I'm probably more apt to make decisions to just do it rather than sit around and wait wondering what if. That's awesome. That that's just sounds like you're having a ball doing this and going back to your roots is John Farrell joining us here on A's Cast Live. And speaking of your roots and your major league playing roots, I, I know I've had you tell the story before, but I've always it's great to hear you tell the story about getting drafted out of high school by the Oakland A's in nineteen eighty. Well, yeah, it, it, and, you know, it's it's somewhat ironic is that, you know, 35 years later from that draft, which I did not sign because it was the last year that Charlie Finley owned the A's, and I don't believe there was a dollar allocated to signing bonuses uh, for that year's draft class because I can recall getting my contract in the mail, 
and there was no negotiations. It was signing bonus had three X's in the space, <laughs> a $600 a month salary, and a, and a round-trip ticket to and from, uh, I believe it was Modesto that they were talking about going to. Uh, and I thought, well, this is a pretty easy decision to go on to school. Uh, but at the time, Walt Jockety was in the front office, and he ran the draft. And lo and behold, we played the uh, the Reds one year in Fenway, oh, probably three, four years ago. And it was the first time I'd ever met Walt. I shared the story with him, and then I've joined the Cincinnati Reds, which is where he currently works. So we've had a few laughs about that whole year and how the, the draft came about. Uh, I think it was a very small front office uh, at the time. And just to, he- just to hear – you know, two or three people running the entire organization, including the draft year that year. Uh, you know, so there is a connection back to Oakland for sure. And, and it's funny because it is, I think, if I remember the story correctly, the only conversation or uh, interaction you have with the Oakland A's, John, was with Steve Usinich, who is was employee number one, essentially, the Oakland A's when they moved here from Kansas City. And he's, of course, the equipment manager, A's historian emeritus. But wasn't he the only person that, that you had conversations with? Well, I, I believe it was here, Walt. I, I can't recall at this point because here it was in 1980, and that was the draft. So it's 39 years ago that the draft was. Uh, and we were actually at our high school sports banquet at the, at the conclusion of the spring season for all the spring sports. And I got a call on a pay phone in the banquet hall, <laughs> and it was either Steve or Walt that said, congratulations, we have been drafted by the Oakland A's. I was like, oh, okay you'll be hearing from us in the coming days. Well, that correspondence came through the contract that I referred to in an envelope uh, with three X's in it. So <laughs> I still have the contract. I, I thought it was something that I would always hold on to, which I have. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's a small baseball circle, and it's, it's played itself out. You get drafted four years later by the Indians and pitch in the big leagues with the Indians, the Angels, the Indians again, the Tigers, John Farrell with us here on A's Cast Live. And certainly within the last 24 hours, the news is that's rocked the baseball world is your old employer, the Boston Red Sox, and have let go Dave Dombrowski going in a different direction. When you first heard the news, what was your thought? Well, I, I, don't, I don't think anything – well, first of all, I was surprised. Uh, so things haven't gone as anticipated in Boston. I think that's well documented. But I think the most important thing are the expectations that are surrounding the Red Sox, Red Sox Nation, and all that is entailed with baseball here in Boston. And, uh, you know, being on the outside in in terms of a win-loss playoff uh, picture, uh, on the outside looking in is not acceptable. And I think, you know, you're looking at a, a guy that put together a team on a World Series 10 months ago, now finds himself on the outside, probably because of payroll and probably all the expectations that go along with that. Uh, so, yeah, it's a little surprising, but there's been a lot of commentary over the summer, the second half of the summer, that this was being talked about. And it just kind of scratches your head a little bit, but you know what? I think after the loss last night to the Yankees that put them a further a game further out of the playoff picture, eh, felt like it was time to make that move. Yeah, the Red Sox are seven games behind the A's for the second wild card spot in the American League, and they're 17 and a half behind the Yankees in the East. Is John Farrell with us here on A's Cast Live? And and John, how much also do you think has to do with the depletion of the farm system? Where you look at where the Red Sox were as opposed to where they're at now, that all of a sudden the talent isn't there and as deep in the farm system as it was when he got there. You know, Roxy, I look at that as a cost of doing business. They they wanted to make a top-end heavy team, which, heck, it was a team that won 108 games. Uh, they met the goal that they had. That was to win a World Series. Along the way, yeah, there was a lot of prospects being dealt elsewhere. I think that depletion has really compounded the current situation because of injuries to long-term deals that have been put in place, whether it's Sale, Evaldi, Pierce, David Price, uh, you know, you're talking about major, major financial commitments that right now have a big question mark against them with really limited options internally to replace or maybe withstand some of the injuries that are that are that they're having to deal with right now. So uh, bottom line, there's not a lot of flexibility going forward. And I think the person coming into this spot 
has really got some delicate balances to make because the young players are going to be looking at substantial raises through arbitration. Uh, so I don't know what kind of financial flexibility is going to be there to maybe make some changes that are needed. And there's going to be some tough decisions, John, to make with the Red Sox. You look at J.D. Martinez and what his contract status is, What about an extension for Mookie Betts. How, how much do you think that factors in as well when the Red Sox are looking at this thing long term? I think it probably goes deeper than maybe what the surface suggests because if, you know, much like people don't want to see managers go into a lame duck year, I think you look at the contract that Dave was under, he was going into that final year of his deal and whether or not that was a, uh, a factor that they, you know, they, they factored in or, or an item they factored in because if this is a lame duck situation, do we want that person making those decisions long term that might not be here? So maybe that was another reason why, now is the time to make the change, and the person coming in will live through the changes that, as you mentioned, and the tough decisions that are going to be there. They've tried multiple times to sign Mookie Betts, so whether or not that can get done, time will sit, will tell. Hey, the other thing, John, that's interesting that you'll certainly know firsthand is the hangover from winning a World Series, right? That's what the Red Sox were dealing with this year, the expectations. You won it in 2013, then coming back in 2014 the next year, how challenging is it for teams to get refocused and, and stay hungry considering they just won? It's a, it's a monumental challenge. And, and for some people that might not think the hangover thing is real, I, I'm one that subscribes to the fact or, or the notion that it is real. Uh, I think anybody who's involved in the game of baseball, you realize that so many things have to come into play and, and fit just right to be a World Series champ. Uh, whether that's just a a selfless group of players that buys into a, a team concept or whether that's injury, whatever, whatever it might be. There's a number of things that have to fall into place, getting hot at the right time, staying healthy, all those things. So after you come off a season in which you are world champs, and sometimes that off season is dominated by, you know, personal appearances or a, a lot of opportunity off the field, does it take away that edge that 25 guys have to formulate throughout the course of a given season? So um, it's extremely difficult. I think it's one of the reasons why repeating as champions in baseball might be the most difficult of all the major sports, uh, particularly if you don't revamp a roster. If you turn over an entire roster, which is much more difficult in the day and age of guaranteed deals, uh, you know, you're, you're always having to seek unique and new ways to manufacture that edge. So we're not keeping you up past your bedtime now, are we? <laughs> no, but that won't be long. I'll tell you, by 9 o'clock, it's lights out over here. So <laughs> I don't see a lot of West Coast baseball. <laughs> I, I can imagine. I was reading something. You, you said you don't see much East Coast baseball because you're asleep but before, <laughs> before those games are over. What about you tune in or do you have a, like a notification on your phone if your son gets into a game and he's pitching, all of a sudden do you wake up out of a deep sleep? You know, great question because I do find myself – uh, late at night, I'll wake up probably one o'clock in the morning or, or, uh, you know, if I know it's been a few days since he's been in the game, you know, he might be up or, or had the appropriate recovery time. So I'll always check a, check a box score late at night. Uh, I had a chance, they were recently in New York. So I had a chance to shoot down to the city and, and spend a day and a half with them and catch, catch up with them with a couple of meals and see a game. So, uh, yeah, you, you pay close attention. I live vicariously through him now. Uh, in the way he's going about it. So uh, I can't say my phone rings when he's called into a game, but I do pay close attention. Well, it's great to catch up with you, John. Uh, really fascinating stuff and way to open our eyes on what's happening w with the Boston Red Sox right now. You certainly would have a better handle on it than anybody. Really appreciate your time. Best of luck to you. Hope we'll, we'll cross paths and touch base soon. Yeah, thanks, Roxy. And, and I do pay close attention. I tell you, what, what the A's are doing – uh, and Bob Melvin, year in and year out, does a great job of getting a team, you know, in playoff contention. And, uh, you know, I think we were doing a game last year when Fires had just come over after the trading deadline. Yeah. And what a great get it has been in pitching in Oakland. Uh, he, he's been an absolute great addition to that rotation. Yeah, and he's going tonight. You're right. We had his first start, you and I, at the Coliseum. His first start with the yeah, Oakland A's against the Dodgers. Yes, and he threw a game in which he's probably repeated many times over since uh, joining the A's. Yeah, and he no-hit the Reds earlier this year. 
<laughs> well, like I said, it's uh, <laughs> it's a great addition, and we'll be paying close attention to, to them getting into October. Well, best of luck with everything, John. I know we'll talk soon. Thanks again. Hi, Roxy. See you down the road. John Farrell, former Boston Red Sox manager, and now he is a lobster fisherman off the shores back there in Boston. And a one-time Oakland A's draft pick and a great story about him getting selected by the Oakland A's out of high school, of course, did not sign and went on to have a nice major league career and a World Series champion manager. We continue with A's Cast Live coming up. We'll dive into the matchup tonight. The A's start a road trip in Houston against the Astros. Mike Fires, who we are just talking about, against Zach Granke, the deadline pickup. Granke's second start against the A's since being acquired by the Astros. Some news for the A's and their roster. We'll get into that as well coming up. Roxy Bernstein with you, Ace Cast Live, right here on Ace Cast. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN. When I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to Ace Cast Live. Hometown hero Mark Canna t-shirts. Not all heroes wear capes. Our heroes rock the green and gold. On Wednesday, September 18th, fans attending the 12-37 first pitch game against the Royals will all receive... The third and final 2019 Hometown Hero t-shirt. This shirt features San Jose's own bat-flippin' Mark Canna. Grab your tickets today by visiting athletics.com slash tickets. Speaking of Canna, what a cool moment it was yesterday at the Coliseum postgame after the A's finished off the Tigers 3-1 to and took 3 out of 4 in that series. Well, kind of 3 out of 4 in that series. Really was, what, 3.5 out of 3 and 3 quarters, really, in that series. Uh, but the A's did get three wins over the weekend against the Tigers. So, But yesterday after the ball game, and of course many of you know what's going on with Ismero Petit, the passing of his father, and our deepest sympathies and condolences go to Ismero and his family. In fact, I've known Ismero since he was a young Ismero Petit, when he came up with the then Florida Marlins and came through the minor leagues when guys like Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis we're all in South Florida. And Yusmero Petit was this young, skinny, right-handed pitcher who had electric numbers in the minor leagues but never really panned out with the Marlins. And here he is in 2019, an incredibly valuable member of the Oakland A's bullpen. So our deepest sympathy is going to him and his family in the passing of his father. But a touching moment yesterday, Mark Hanna reacting to the crowd and getting them to uh, as well appreciate what Yusmero Petit did and a great job in relief yesterday Yusmero Petit did for the Oakland A's in the 3-1 to win. And Sean Manaya was tremendous yesterday. Seven innings, ten strikeouts, giving up just a run on two hits. Petit for the eighth, Hendricks in the ninth, and the A's with the win yesterday. And Manaya, his two starts, it's coming back. Wow. He has been fantastic with the Oakland A's since his return from the shoulder surgery. But the A's made some roster moves today as the A's have selected their number one prospect, the highly touted Jesus Lazardo from AAA Las Vegas. In addition to Lazardo coming to Houston to join the A's, Daniel Mingdon brought back from AAA, the club announced today. And to clear a spot on the 40-man roster for Lazardo because he was not on and the A's had to find a way to get him on the 40-man to activate him. So the A's, by doing this, had to recall outfielder Luis Barrera from AA Midland. Now, Barrera is on the 40-man, and Luzardo was not. Therefore, but Barrera is hurt. So the A's call him up, then place him immediately on the 60-day injured list, which allows him to go off the 40-man roster as he is coming back from right shoulder surgery. So Lazaro now on the active roster as Lazardo pitched three teams in the A's farm system this year. Two and one and a 2.51 ERA, 11 games, nine starts, 57 strikeouts for Lazardo in 43 innings. He walked just eight in a season interrupted twice by strained left shoulder. He's just 21. The left-hander was a non-roster invitee to spring training before he was shut down with a shoulder injury. Lazardo then returned to action with Stockton Ports in the Cal League. On June 11th, pitched in five games with the Ports and then Vegas before going on the injured list on the 4th of July with the shoulder strain. Returned then to pitching about a month later, August 5th, and he also just started Game 3 of the PCL Championship Series uh, against the Sacramento Rivercats on Friday as Luzardo pitched five and two-thirds innings that day, 
giving up a run on seven hits with seven strikeouts. And Luzardo, you probably remember, came over in a deal from the Nationals. The Nationals drafted him in the third round back in 2016. The South Florida native was traded to the A's in July of 2017, along with Blake Trinan and Sheldon Noisy, in a deal that sent Sean Doolittle and Ryan Madsen to the Nationals. And he was rated the A's number one prospect by MLB.com and Baseball America. Prior to this season, Lazardo in his minor league career, 14-7 and with a 2.53 ERA, 43 starts, three relief appearances, three seasons of minor league baseball, and he will become the first player born in Peru to become a major league baseball player. Now, again, he did prep in South Florida, but he was born in Peru, so he will be the first Peruvian major leaguer when he gets into a ball game with the A's. And then Daniel Manion comes back to join the A's for the third time this season. Nine starts, two relief appearances for the Oakland A's, 5-2 and two and a 4.85 ERA. Also went down to Vegas, had some starts, uh, some stints there with the Aviators. He started game one of the PCL Championship Series against Sacramento last Wednesday. A no decision in a 9-3 win when four and a third struck out six. And then Barrera, who was on the 40-man, was now placed on the injured list. And he began the season at Midland in 11 games, hit 333 before going on the injured list, was reinstated May 4th, and then was hitting well before going back on the injured list. The 23-year-old left-handed hitter and the outfielder underwent surgery July 12th through repair a torn labrum in his shoulder. And so he is now on the 60-day injured list on the Major League roster briefly before putting on the injured list. And again, Jesus Lazardo, Daniel Mangan going to join the A's in Houston. And they will be in uniform tonight for Bob Melvin. So that is big news, considering this is the number one prospect, the highly thought of, not just within the A's organization, but everybody around Major League Baseball is infatuated with Jesus Lazardo, and we can't wait. Probably won't make his Major League debut for the next couple of days, because I think he just pitched on Friday in his last start with the Aviators. But maybe out of the bullpen Wednesday, Thursday, and I do believe that is the plan for Lazardo to pitch him in relief here over the next little while, and we'll see how it goes. But the A's running into the Houston Astros, who have a comfortable lead on top of the American League West. They'll send Granke to the mound today against Fires. And I guess if there's good news in this series, and look, if you miss one of the three aces, that's good news. And in a four-game series, it's really good news because Garrett Cole pitched yesterday, which means Garrett Cole will not face the A's in this series but they do unfortunately get Verlander to wrap up the series. And it's a four-gamer, all-night games. So fires against Greinke tonight. Tanner Roark goes tomorrow against Wade Miley. Brett Anderson will pitch Wednesday against a starter to be announced for the Astros. And then Thursday, it'll be Homer Bailey to wrap up the series against Justin Verlander, who just threw a no-hitter a little over a week ago against the Toronto Blue Jays, his third career no-hitter. And for Verlander, it's the second time he no-hit the Blue Jays in Toronto. How crazy is that? He became the first player in Major League history to no-hit a team on the road twice. He did it with the Tigers in 2011, and he did it again last week, throwing a no-hitter against the Toronto Blue Jays in Toronto. And you know what? I have a feeling that the next time Justin Verlander goes through customs and tries to clear customs in Canada, it's going to be a long, eventful evening for Justin Verlander because it's funny. You talk to some people who have had success against the Canadian teams in baseball, whether it's Verlander. Uh, for example, Rick Monday was telling me the story. So Rick Monday hit a huge home run for the Dodgers in, in 1981 in a playoff series against the Expos, essentially eliminated the Expos with that home run. So every time the Dodgers came back to Montreal, it was an ordeal for Rick Monday to clear customs. So every time they went through, it took, I'm not kidding, and Rick was telling me the story, it took about two, three hours to clear customs, and that may be what Justin Verlander will have to deal with the next time he goes through north of the border. Ace Cast Live, we continue. Roxy Bernstein with you, taking up until the A's and the Astros here on Ace Cast. And we welcome in a good buddy of mine to the show. I was with him last Monday. He did not want to have dinner with me, but he was kind enough to have lunch with me in the press dining room there in Milwaukee. Of course, the Cal Bear, Jeff Blum, joins us here on A's Cast Live. And before we get into some baseball, Blummer, what about our Golden Bears late into the evening Saturday, early into the morning on Sunday? 
and a huge road win for Cal football. I'll tell you what, man. I, I couldn't stay up for that being in the central time zone, but uh, I was soft. watching the delays and I was trying to hang on. And, uh, so I mean, what a better night in the Pac-12 for a Bear fan than, than to see Stanford get whooped and then have the Bears sneak out that win in uh, Seattle. I, it was a tremendous thing to wake up to those notifications when I woke up the next day. It was awesome. I, I stayed up, Blummer. I know you're not surprised till about 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> I was there glued to it. You're a gamer, it. man. I, I can't handle it. I was on the West Coast. I, I got two hours on you. I just I, I got done. I called the Oregon football game Saturday night in Pac-12 Network and then went back to Buffalo Wild Wings right down the street from the hotel. We thought we were able to watch the game, and then sure enough, we get a, like a three-hour lightning delay. We, we don't get that out here. Oh, How random is that? In the Pacific Northwest in September, you get a, a lightning and a storm delay of a football game. I don't know. Timing is everything, but that's how you've worked with the football gods, maybe, and you got that pull. Yeah, and I got to watch it because then I, I may have been, you know, pulled away from it. And normally you're used to seeing lightning delays and weather where you are in Texas, but not necessarily out here. It's Jeff Blum with us here on A's Cast Live. And as we talk, the A's and the Astros opening a four-game series tonight. And, look, the Astros are just finishing their march toward another division championship. And... They're going to ride Granke out there tonight against going up against Mike Fires. But this is a team that is just so impressive. Look, you watch him day in, day out with the addition of Granke at the deadline, Jordan Alvarez and what he's come up and done. And they've been able to overcome these injuries. It hasn't necessarily been easy. But how is A.J. Hinch, what has been the key for this group to hold it together despite all these injuries? Um, I think it's just the depth. It's the organizational depth. It's amazing to think that you can have a championship quality ball club like the Astros have and have these guys putting up career years. And yet if they go on the DL for, or on the injured list for a hamstring, a shoulder issue, they have guys that are complimentary enough to come up and fill the gap. Not necessarily become the same ball player, but they have the ability to come up and provide maybe a, a, you know, a big hit every once in a while or play some solid defense and help out the pitching staff to get some of those outs when they need them. But uh, it's remarkable to me that you can have a shortstop go down a couple of times. You can have your first baseman go down. You've got guys in the rotation that have a little bit of an issue, and they can continue to go out there and win. Some of them may not be as, as pretty as others, like we saw the other night with them scoring 21 runs. But you know, just to give you an idea of how good and how deep these guys are, you had Brantley, Reddick, and Correa out of your starting lineup. And granted, it was the Seattle Mariners. They went out and scored 21 runs. And they set a rookie record with eight doubles by, uh, by rookies in one game. So it gives you an idea of what's coming for the Astros. But at the same time, it also gives you an idea of how they've developed these guys to have a winning culture and be able to put together great at-bats and get to the big leagues and help contribute in whatever small amount of time they need to get those other guys healthy. Up nine and a half games on the A's starting this series tonight, but Correa's been out of the lineup. What's the latest on Carlos Correa? Um, rumor has it he took batting practice yesterday, which is a step forward with that back issue that he has. And rumor has it with the Round Rock Express extending their season and going to the Pacific Coast League AAA Championship that they're going to have a couple more games and create an opportunity for Carlos Correa, hopefully by the end of the week, to go out to Round Rock and maybe get a couple of at-bats and playing in some rehab games in that championship series for Round Rock. So that's the expectation by the end of the week. So when the Astros go to Kansas City after this A series, maybe that's the time that Carlos Correa gets some at-bats. And by the time the Astros come back here and play at Minute Maid Park, hopefully he can sneak in and get, be healthy enough to get back in the lineup and get some at-bats in before the end of the season with a clinch, hopefully, and then hopefully in the playoffs. In the interim, how much fun does Alex Bregman have playing shortstop? <laughs> Dude, he's having a blast. And, you know, he's one of those guys, I'm sure you've been around him enough to understand the chip on his shoulder. Uh, you know, he wears the number two because he was a second overall pick. Uh, you know, he wore the number 30 in college because he felt like 30 teams passed on him in, uh, you know, in a high school draft. So this guy's great because he has that chip on his shoulder. He still believes that he is a shortstop. But he's having a blast going back to shortstop and playing with Carlos Correa on the injured list. But I think it's really, you know, a mark of professionalism on his part and understanding how good this team is when Carlos is at shortstop and he can play third base because that might be one of the most dynamic left sides of the infield in comparison to Simeon and Chapman. Yeah, you look at the two left side of the infields, and certainly when Correa comes back, 
I think that could be the two best left sides. And the guys in Colorado are pretty good also. Is Jeff Blum with us here <laughs> yeah. on A's Cast Live. And speaking of Bregman, and you talk about the personality, and it's it strikes me, Jeff, that he's got some Aaron Rodgers to him. Because when Aaron Rodgers slipped in the NFL draft all the way down to the 20s, he was getting more agitated mm-hmm. by the moment. And he said when he was picked 24th by the Packers, he was going to make 23 teams pay. And is that – uh, something similar to, to Alex Bregman, and they're always going to remember this and keep it fresh in their mind and just make teams pay for not having taking advantage of the opportunity they had to get them? Absolutely. And, you know, that's part when you're, you know, when you're in the big leagues, you get to a level and you, you constantly are trying to achieve more and, you know, maintain some consistency or maybe get to a different level. But it's, it's remarkable to me to see these guys with that understanding you know, and they understand they have the talent. They understand they have the opportunity. But then you add that little twist of that mental edge that these guys can create or that, you know, that chip on the shoulder like you're talking about, or that little bit of anger that allows them to go out there and maybe play a little bit above maybe what their their level of play is thought to be. And I think that's what makes good players great, and I think that's what makes great players legendary is the ability to go over there, go out there with their ability and do a little bit more than expected and maybe even surprise themselves. But I love the fact that these guys have that kind of internal drive. You know, it's something that if you could put that in every baseball player or every athlete, you could probably maximize the talent and bend some with those guys because that mentality of going out there and just embarrassing your opponent or, or trying to say, hey, this is what you missed out on is truly special, I think. All right, the last five starts, Plummer, for Garrett Cole, 3-0, and 2.14 ERA. 65 strikeouts, four walks, and 33 and two-thirds. The last five starts for Justin Verlander. Three and one, a 1.21 ERA. 47 strikeouts, only two walks in 37 and a third. Are these two just gunning for each other right now? They're really, it's almost as if something's on the line between two of them to win the Cy Young. That's the way they're going. No, I think you're right. And, you know, they may not say it publicly, but I think internally, you know, when when they're on the mound and they look in, they know that they're competing against each other. And I love, I sincerely hope that it is that way because I kind of love the competitiveness of two guys that are that good going out, not only competing against the league to try and get their numbers, but competing against each other to try and outdo one another. And I think to get this deep in the season, it has to be part of it, you would think because they keep leapfrogging each other in the, in the strikeout numbers. They keep, uh, you know, they get closer and closer as far as the ERA. And to be able to be compared to the Pedro Martinez's, the Kurt Schillings and Randy Johnson's, I mean, it has been so much fun for us to watch them go out there and pitch at this level and not just go out and dominate. They are, their intent when they're on the mound, and especially in Garrett Cole's sense, their intent is to go out there and just demoralize you as a, as a player. And what's crazy to me is that they have the ability to go out there and do that. And once they kind of snowball a little bit in the process, in the game, they continue to do it. And it's, and it's borderline, you know, offensive, abusive, because you're calling some of these games and you just see Garrett Cole turn his back before the pitch even crosses the plate because he knows he struck you out. It's, in, it's incredible to watch. And then what have you noticed? I talked to A.J. Hinch about this last Monday when I was there in Milwaukee before the game with the Brewers. Just And the impact that Zach Granke's had on those two guys since he's come over. What have you seen with the pitching staff with the addition of Granke? Um, Granke's one of those guys that, you know, he used to be the power pitcher when he first came up with a great fastball in the mid-90s. Didn't necessarily get up to the upper 90s like a Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander can. But uh, he's kind of the professor in the group. And, you know, one of those intellectual types who's watching every outing. I mean, he kind of, you know, that last series in Oakland, when Granke went out and pitched against the Oakland A's and probably pitched his best game as an Astro. He would pitch the fourth game of the series and had a chance to watch the three guys in front of him go out there and do work. And I think that's where Granky is special. He understood that even though he doesn't have the 95 plus, he still understood that his fastball could play because in that series for me, the Oakland A's sat on off speed and when they got it, they absolutely crushed it. And uh, Granky didn't want to be that guy. He wanted to make the adjustment and he went to the fastball changeup mix and it worked for him. But I think that's where if you're in ter- if you're inside or in that dugout and you've got Granky Cole and Verlander lined up talking, 
you know, that's where kind of the thought process comes in. And Granky says, well, if I had your stuff, this is this might be how I approach it. Or if I had your slider, this is how I would go out and approach it. We've actually gotten a couple of shots of those three guys in the dugout kind of talking and Granky having a baseball in his hand. And they keep showing him that slider grip. So I'm kind of curious if Granky's able to go out there and be able to manipulate a slider, which he doesn't throw all that often. It's funny, Jeff, because uh, A.J. was telling us the story of right after Granky got traded and was there, I think it was in Colorado, you guys were there for an interleague series. And A.J. sometimes will walk out of a dugout in innings and just either go hang in the batting cage for a moment just to, to get his thoughts together. And so Granky followed him in there and says, hey, A.J., what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I just need a quiet space to think. And he says back to him, good I, good to see I'm not the only one that needs a quiet space. But he's just he's, he's just a different dude, isn't he? He should have been left-handed maybe. No, yeah, there is definitely some left-handedness inside that mentality, and he is a little bit different. And I think that almost, you know, that might endear himself a little bit to the guys, especially in this clubhouse as freewheeling and you know there's no expectation uh, of seniority there's no expectation everybody is on a level playing field but at the same time in the astros clubhouse they really respect each other and what it takes for you to get prepared for the game you know verlander's a guy who don't talk to him on game day garrett cole's a talkative guy wade miley's a talkative guy but uh it, it is funny and it explains a lot about zach Granke. he is he's in his own world so to speak which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but uh, it's kind of funny. I love those stories about those guys because all of us have our quirks, whether it be in the broadcast business or on the field in order to get prepared. Or there are moments in this game where you're traveling with 25 guys for 190 days a year. You're going to need your space every once in a while. You find your quiet space, don't you? Oh, gosh, yeah. You know me well (laughs) enough to know that I've got plenty of quiet spaces. What's the key for this team to stay sharp, Jeff? Because you're nine and a half games up the Astros with 18 games to go. It's going to happen for the unless there's an absolutely historic collapse here by the Astros, which I don't think anybody sees coming. But that what's the key for this team to stay sharp and stay focused with maybe a clinching of this pretty early before the playoffs begin? Um, AJ, first of all, has done a really good job of motivating these guys. That's what I've been most impressed with because they're heading towards their third straight 100-win season, which would be, I think, the sixth or seventh team in all of Major League history to be able to do that. So that's a motivating factor. AJ's done a good good job of creating the idea of a dynasty or a legacy-type ball club, so that motivates these guys. And obviously, these guys, we, we all know that big leaguers play for money, so why not go out there and get your numbers and get your stats so that's another motivating factor is going out there and putting up numbers in order to get those contracts that these guys want. But I also think, you know, there's a lot of conversation, and we're probably going to talk about it tonight a little bit on our broadcast about a lot of the questions these guys get in the clubhouse from reporters from cities they go to or teams that come in and visit is how important is home field advantage? And it kind of points back to 2017 in the American League Championship Series where the Astros went into New York and got absolutely throttled in Yankee Stadium. But fortunately, they had home field advantage that year, and they won all four games at home and find themselves in the World Series. So I think they're kind of focused on getting that best record in baseball so that they can kind of have that 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 uh, you know that comfort of knowing that they're going to play at home because right now I believe they're sitting at 55 wins at home on the season. So that's a big deal for them to have that home field advantage. Yeah, it's funny. I think if you pulled teams, Jeff, around baseball, They'd rather get matched up with the Yankees than the Astros, even though the teams are tied and the unbelievable mm-hmm. offense the Yankees have. And I, I fall into that that category where I, I, if I'm a team in the playoffs, I'd rather play the Yankees than I would the Astros. Just I think the lineups are just about as deep as one another's. But the pitching, to me, is the difference. And, okay, the Yankees may have the better bullpen. But in a playoff series, if you can run Verlander, Cole, and Granke, and then Miley as a fourth, good luck. I mean, that's... Uh, to me, the the Astros are the team to beat in the American League. No, I completely agree, and I and and so you're spot on with the pitching. I think it all comes down to that because we know that uh, hitter hit good teams, you know, they can go out there and hit. But I think you know what we've seen throughout the course of the year with the Astros and their ability not only to pitch in Minute Maid Park, but to be able to pitch against very good lineups. That's what really kind of, you know. 
strikes fear into a lot of hitters. It strikes fear into the offenses. How do you match up with these guys? And once you get buried and those pitchers start going, then it you kind of spirals out of control against you. And I'm with you in the sense that, you know, you can go out there and thump with teams, but you're thumping with a team that has a, a pitching rotation that can absolutely shove for a good six, seven innings, if not more, if they need it. So that's what makes them kind of dangerous. And it's funny you talk about matchups because talking about the Astros going out there and trying to get the best record in baseball, best record in the American League, it kind of sets up for a matchup potentially again with them being the number one seed and facing the wild card which might be the oakland a's and if you ask a lot of people around the astros and myself included i've said i'd rather face the twins than the oakland a's to be honest with you and um, i you know it's funny is the way the a's handled the yankees although they they've played well against the astros the last couple of series but i think the a's would rather see the yankees to be honest with you just because of the no, pitching you run point. into uh, the bullpen is is a question mark. Before I let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about it because I saw Roberto Asuna blow that lead in Milwaukee last Monday. Ryan Presley has been out. How is the bullpen rounding into form here down the stretch? Yeah, it's a little concerning. Brad Peacock is another guy that's been on the injured list. Uh, Ryan Presley is probably one of the bigger keys that they need to get back, and rumor has it he threw off the mound recently. So hopefully maybe in the next week they'll be able to get him back. He's recovering pretty quick from his, his right knee surgery. So that that would be a huge bonus because that would really set things up and extend the depth of the bullpen because it's really been, when everybody's healthy, it's been Will Harris, Ryan Presley, it's a Roberto Osuna where there has been concern. But I think the last outing Roberto Osuna had got heavy on the fastball again. I think he relied a little too much on his off speed in some of those uh, blown save situations. So maybe he's kind of altering his pitch usage a little bit to be more effective. And then Josh James is kind of an interesting one for me. He's pitched extremely well the last couple of times out in that Milwaukee series and then against the Seattle Mariners, picking up a couple of big innings and pitching multiple innings with his uh, you know high-velocity fastball, 98 to 100 miles an hour. But that's the biggest wild card for me is that bullpen. Is Joe Smith going to be able to get left-handed hitters out? Because they don't have a left-handed bullpen guy that they can go to to get out that situational left-handed hitter. And I think that's where A.J. Hinch is kind of using this back end of September to try and figure out, number one, who's going to earn their way into that bullpen to go with some of these guys. But who who can he bring in to go and get a guy like a Matt Olson? Is it Chris Davinsky, or is he going to have to use Will Harris in the fifth, sixth inning? You know, that would really kind of alter how A.J. Hinch uses the back end of the bullpen. Well, Jeff, you know, this A's cast and A's cast live is the number one downloaded podcast in all of Major League Baseball. And you're a big reason why, because you're on every time we play the Astros. In fact, we need to have like Jeff Blum as a co-host of the show. Right? Seriously. Okay. Ta- Uncle Townie is like the main host. And there's me. And then Jeff Blum. Like It's like, you know, credits in a movie. You have to be credited for being a co-host on the show. You're on so much. Appreciate it, Blummer, well, as you- always. You guys, are too, you guys are too kind. It's always good being on with you, Roxy. You know I love being on in the Bay Area. That place has my heart. It, it is. It's where you grew up, literally. <laughs> yep. All right. Talk to you soon, Blummer. Have a good one. Take care, Roxy. Jeff Blum joining us, Astros broadcaster and White Sox World Series hero, by the way, who has a statue out in front of first well, guaranteed rate field there in Chicago. Yes, there is a Jeff Blum statue there. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we'll have A's total access for you and getting you set up for the A's and the Astros. Game one of a four-game series and game one of a seven-game road trip. Mike Fires, who has been awesome for the A's, 14-3. and three. He's so good, he won a game Friday and didn't even throw a pitch. Against Zach Greinke, a 14-game winner as well between the Diamondbacks and the Astros. Open that series coming up next. Ken Korak, Vince Catronio, Ray Fossey, and myself will take you through it as coming up on A's Total Access, we'll hear from Jeff Blum, as well as J.B. Wendelkin, Yusmero Petit, and, of course, the skipper Bob Melvin with Ken Korak. First pitch, 510 Pacific time from Minute Maid Park in Houston. As we continue, special thanks to Commander Cody, Roxy Bernstein in for Chris Townsend. We'll continue. A's Total Access comes your way 10 minutes from now right here on AceCast. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 